Hi, I'm the producer of A Public Affair, Jade Isiri Ramos. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the station. We take donations all year long at wortfm.org. Thanks. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the two you are listening to a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Nan Enstead, and I'm sub hosting today for Ali Mudro. Today, I have a panel of three guests who are going to help me dig into what's happening at UW Oshkosh, where they are experiencing massive cuts and layoffs. These cuts are just the first of what will be extensive consequences across the state's UW campuses as the new state budget is put into play. Put simply, the Republican-controlled state legislature had a $7 billion surplus to work with. Governor Evers proposed $305 million to the UW system to help stabilize 10 UW schools that were already experiencing budget deficits. The answer was no. Not one penny of that $7 billion surplus to the UW system. This was an incredible missed opportunity to put the UW system on more solid economic footing throughout the state. On a public affair roundtable in June of this year, Nick Fleischer of UW-Milwaukee, and I I recommend that you go listen to that roundtable, Nick Fleischer said that he thought that another budget move The $32 million cut to the system aimed at diversity, equity, and inclusion programs was designed to distract us from this shocking failure to stabilize the foundation of UW higher education across the state. So today, I want to focus on what is essentially an escalation in the Republican war on public education, including a war on the democratic principles, small d democratic, of equality and access. I've invited three people to talk to me who have had firsthand experience at UW Oshkosh and UW Green Bay, as well as expertise in the labor politics of higher education. They're going to talk to me about regional UW campuses and their value to all the people of Wisconsin. So the guests are Jada Bell. Jada is a sophomore at UW Oshkosh. She is the president of the LIT UWO chapter. LIT stands for Leaders Igniting Transformation. Welcome, Jada. And my second guest is Paul Van Aken. Paul is a professor of sociology and environmental studies who just started his 17th year on the faculty at UW Oshkosh. He was a co-founder of the AFT Wisconsin Local United Faculty and Staff of Oshkosh, and he continues to serve on the executive board and as organizing director. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, John Shelton, a repeat offender at WRT. He is a professor (laughs) and chair of Democracy and Justice Studies at UW-Green Bay. He is the author of The Education Myth, How Human Capital Trumps Social Democracy, that is featured on a Wart public affairs show last March. Go listen to that on our archive. He's a member of UW Green Bay United and the vice president of the Higher Education Council at AFT Wisconsin. Welcome back, John. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Nan, and looking forward to the conversation. So, Jada, I really want to start with you, and uh, you're a student at UW Oshkosh, and 
You know, it's really a lot of times we hear the politicians speak and we hear the professors speak and we hear, you know, we don't hear what the students have to say. And so really want to begin with you and find out, you know, why did you go decide to go to college and why did you decide to go to UW Oshkosh? Um, I decided to go to college because I knew that I wanted a higher education. <laughs> um, I knew, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like, you know, finishing high school and then like going straight into the workforce. But I feel like with those typical, with that typical decision, like you're in a workforce where you're doing a lot of heavy labor and um, which is, my dad's a truck driver. I love it, but uh, blue collar workers. But I knew I wanted to help people and most of those, you know, you need to require a good degree. And I knew I needed to go to college to help people. So I wanted a career in helping. So I knew I needed a degree to do that. And I decided UW Oshkosh because um, I'm originally from Chicago, but I moved to Milwaukee my sophomore year of high school. So I was like, oh, I get in state in Wisconsin. So I was like, I'll just stay here. And um, so that narrowed it down to like Wisconsin. And then like I was looking at schools and then like price range wise, like this was like the best. And UW Oshkosh um, is only like an hour and a half away from Milwaukee on the bus. I was like, I just take a bus ride home. So it was just like the closest. Wow, that's awesome. Do you um, do you still live in Milwaukee then and ride the bus up for classes or do you did you relocate to to, uh, Oshkosh? Oh, yeah, I live in the dorms and um, uh, I live on campus in Oshkosh, but um, but I still have like live at home within Milwaukee. Like I go home for like breaks and stuff like that. Awesome. That's your permanent address is still Milwaukee. That's that's awesome. Tell me what is lit? This is an interesting (laughs) program. Lit is Leaders Igniting Transformation. It's a black and brown org. Everybody's welcome. It's not like I wouldn't say like oh political but we do like tackle like problems that you know that are political and like we have like uh not agendas i forgot what it's called uh but we like you know tackle hard decisions and stuff like that and we you know want our voice heard and stuff like that about stuff that affects black and brown people awesome so that's really a leadership training kind of helps you get uh that's how we got connected to you was through this organization sounds like Mm -hmm. it's something that um allows you to build some of those skills that you are wanting to build as um your hope to help people do you know what kind of i know you're you're a sophomore you're not supposed to know already what you want to do but i know that people out there are going to be curious like do you know what kind of job you might want someday yeah i always wanted to be okay so this is like Okay, we're going to go down the road now. Um, okay. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, I took classes to become a CNA because I wanted to be a nurse. Mm. And then when I was a CNA, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like mm. backbreaking work. Like, yeah. I still don't walk the same. <laughs> I just, oh. I still don't. Like, um, mm-hmm. it really took a toll on my body. And then, like, mentally, it was like, and I feel like I took some of that work home mm-hmm. with me. Like, I like I would think about stuff and like, oh, I forgot to get this for that person. Yeah. like that. And it was very... Uh, I wouldn't say like, oh, hard, hard, but it was taxing. I think just not like physically, but mentally too. So I was like, oh, maybe not the nursing <laughs> route. But um, and I felt like I was getting burnt out too because I was doing high school and CNA work. So it was like a lot. And then, so I was like, okay, maybe not nursing. But then I was like, I always wanted to be a teacher. Like when I was little, I used to play teacher. So I was like, teacher, I always want to be a teacher anyway. So um, so right as of right now, I still am enrolled as, um, declared as my major uh, English education, secondary English education. Uh, so like a high school English teacher, but um, I have been thinking about human service leadership 
which is like a mix of social work and like HR. But um, I know I just want to do something where I'm working with people, people, people work. I always say that, like, I just want to do something where I'm like helping. I don't, I want to contribute. So I don't want to like take away. I don't want to be like in a corporation, like your insurance doesn't cover this. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that helped people. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I appreciate hearing that. Um, and, you know, Justin, I don't know, this might be hard for you to imagine, but like, uh, if the if UW Oshkosh wasn't there, do you know what what, what your route would have been? That's kind of a that's called a counterfactual. I'm not supposed to do that in my line of work, but I'm kind of curious what you think. Like, what's what's your experience with UW Oshkosh? Would you be would you be uh, there is a ready alternative? Um, if if there wasn't UW Oshkosh, I would probably be somewhere like I don't know maybe still in the UW system, like maybe UW Milwaukee mm. is still close. I only chose UW Oshkosh because yes, I love my family, but I need to be at least a little bit away because they're not going to drive. They're not going to feel like going and driving to me like all the time. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, a little bit away. So then make them, make them work for it. They're not going to want to <laughs> drive all this way to like bug me. So I was thinking UW Oshkosh because only like <laughs> I said, like a little bit of a drives away. Yeah. But um, I would probably choose UW Milwaukee then. It's still mm-hmm. close to my family. I can go home. But I just wanted something close enough where I'm not like if something happened. Like, okay, you can come drive to come get me or come see me or see what happened. But not so where, not so close where you could just pop up and be like, here, watch my niece or nephew. Yep. Like, no, <laughs> not like that. That's beautiful. You know, uh, it's really interesting to me that you, you know, these are these two. They're the, the second and third biggest schools uh, in the state. Um, and they are the first and second largest minority serving schools in the state. Um, and they are among the most hard hit by the budget cuts that we're experiencing right now. And so that, you know, you know, if you weren't going to be in one of the <laughs> budget crisis schools, you'd be in the other budget crisis school. Right. <laughs> so it makes it makes sense to me. So thank you so much. And also, I just got to say, you're talking to three teachers. And so we're all like, yes, to teaching. <laughs> but all of those goals sound so amazing. Um, If you've just tuned in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Nan Enstead. We're talking about UW Regional Schools and why they have value for the state and people of Wisconsin uh, and the crisis at them, especially at UW Oshkosh. Um, If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001. You can also reach us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I want to turn to you now, Paul. Paul, you're a you're a professor at UW Oshkosh, where Jada is a student. Um, UW Oshkosh is is just uh, started to furlough employees, and they've said they're going to eliminate 200 non-academic positions through layoffs, so-called non-renewals, and voluntary retirements, which is 14 percent of the university's workforce. Um, and people are going to be have uh, up to two weeks of unpaid furloughs as the university tries to close a $15.1 million budget gap for this year. So, uh, uh, Paul, I understand that you're on furlough today. What's it what's it like out there on furlough? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the, the days I chose to to serve my sentence. What <laughs> is a furlough? Could you explain it to us? <laughs> well. For for people that are teaching, it's essentially a pay cut. There's no two buts about it. Um, 
I've been through two other rounds of furloughs, given that I've been here a while. And the other times I have to say, I just pretty much ignored it and said, it's a pay cut and it, it's, it stinks. This time I'm trying to take it more seriously because I feel like it could, this is a, an experiment today because I feel like it could benefit me. And I've been encouraging the, my colleagues in my department to, to try to actually take the furlough day for our mental health because it is such a stressful, sad, frustrating time. Mm. But the thing is, you know, it sounds good in theory, but there's, there's, there are so many things going on and I'm teaching and uh, I'm a chair of my department. So to not do those things causes more stress. But once we're done talking here, I am determined to go into the woods and actually have a mental health break and use that mm -hmm. furlough for something positive. Mm -hmm. But it, it is a substantial pay cut. And, you know, so one of the big issues is that faculty aren't in the crosshairs as far as actual layoffs right now, but lots of things are going to change at our university and quickly. And the quickly part is very disturbing to a lot of people because we don't know how much say we're going to have in our fates, you know, but there are lots of teaching professionals that some of which are, are already know that they're, the door is closing behind them, at least, you know, after the semester, whatever the case is. So I just want to clarify that. That's the non-renewal part. Is that, is that's that the, that's the non-renewal part? Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you and explain that? Are... Is that, is that like if you're teaching on a part-time basis and, but you've got a year to year contract or even a full-time basis, but you have a year to year contract, then you're, you're a non-renewed. Is that what that meant? I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's basically what that means. But the thing that's even more disturbing about it is that it's not necessarily a year long contract. Even we're talking about people finding out at department meetings yesterday, for example, that they don't have they're they're not on the schedule for the spring. And that's essentially how they found out that their their job is over for now. Now, and that can happen to people who have been here since last year or since 30 years ago. And I'm not exaggerating on that, that their positions are so vulnerable. And in times like these, I think they feel, and I, that's how our, there are colleagues. That's how I feel right along with them, that they're a category on a ledger that doesn't work right now. And so they're pretty much wiped off and it's like, we feel bad about it, but yeah, there's nothing we can do. Um, not even really a thanks for your service. That's how it feels. You you're you're now no longer useful, and so let me sorry, we'll yeah on. let me see if I understand this. So in other words, uh, over the last ten and twenty years, even um, more fewer and fewer tenure track people are being hired, right? So more and more classes are being taught by these contract workers, right? And so when they say when they say non-academic positions, it actually does conclude these contract teachers are being are also being uh, non-renewed because they made it sound like it wasn't going to affect the academics. Um, the news the news reports did. Right. And just for example, to give you know how this has played out, I contacted our the state senator that serves our area um, as just a citizen, a constituent. And 
was asking why, um, among other things, why your n newsletter says nothing about anything that's going on at UWO. This, <laughs> this hub of so many important things in the region says nothing about it other than classes started. Um, and so I was raising all these concerns about, hey, you should be standing up regardless of your politics because this is a huge economic engine for the region is in addition to all the other things that it does culturally and so forth. Um, but the main answer I got back from the staff person was, well, we had a meeting with the chancellor and we're assured that students' experiences won't be affected. The academic side won't be affected, which is nonsense, complete, complete nonsense for lots of reasons, some of which we've already talked about. But on top of having um, furloughs, pay cuts, People that are remaining here uh, on the faculty side who may not be the target of layoffs right now are being asked to to teach more. So and that's that's nothing new. We've gone through that before. It's terrible, but we've we've it's something we've experienced before. So at the same time that they're being asked to they're getting paid less, they're being asked to teach more. And how is that not going to affect the student experience in the educational side? We know it does. We know it did the last time. And it's helped contribute to this problem, we think. And, the, and, and losing support staff throughout the university seems like it's a huge hit as well. Jada, are people, are students aware of what's going on? Do you hear anybody talking about this, or is this something that is not is kind of not yet gotten into the student experience? Um, students know. We definitely talk about it. I've heard from my friends and stuff like that that we know that... Um, People are getting furloughed and stuff like that. Um, I didn't know that professors were. I knew that like people from like, you know, who work in like, like with the students and stuff like that, like, you know what I mean? Like navigators, advisors, stuff like that. But I didn't know that like professors were, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when you think about how a university functions, if you lose 14% of your workforce, it means that there's fewer advisors, there's fewer uh, people cleaning the buildings, there's fewer people in maintenance, there's you know fewer people at all these positions. So um, this is really, really important. Um, so uh, Paul, what's the mood on campus right now among faculty and among staff and and others? Not good. Um, you know, I've been here since 2007, so I, I was here when Act 10 happened, and I would say is at least it's at least as bad, if not worse, than than that uh, time period. In part because, in some ways, that was positive for faculty because of how it galvanized people to see that we have the same, the people in our position have this, are facing the same issues across the state and we need to band together and do something about that. And it seems like there was awareness amongst people across, the, there, there was a strong awareness because of the protests that were going on and so forth. So while it was an us against them thing that was happening to us, the us part felt strong and good. This is different. It doesn't feel like people in our area really have a good understanding of what's going on, for one thing. I'm glad to hear that Jada feels like students do know about it. I've talked to some, and I, I, they, they, feel, they seem pretty surprised and really shocked at, at learning more about what's actually going on. 
But the thing with our situation, at least at UW Oshkosh, is it's, well, it's particularly galling to have a record state budget surplus and then we're getting cut. But then when the, the way it's being handled at our university and the things that have led to this, what's actually an $18 million deficit, according to our administrators, everything that's gone into that goes beyond the, the biggest problem, which is the lack of state support. But there's more to it that questionable decisions that we've, we've been concerned about for a long time and things that we weren't aware of that were going on behind the scenes um, because of a lack of transparency, using up reserves to cover shortfalls for many years in a row that we weren't told about. Mm-hmm. And, and then kind of going with that us against them thing, uh, deflecting blame on the part of administrators, deflecting blame, not taking accountability for their role in it. And I don't think anyone's saying it's, it's all the administrator's fault or anything like that. But there have been some decisions that are questionable and there's no accountability. And at the same time, in various ways, some subtle, some not so much, the finger kind of points back at us as the teachers, mm-hmm. the people that without us, there'd be no university. Yeah, it comes um, down to, and that's what a furlough does, right? It says it's your responsibility to take it. Doug, Douglas Haynes, who is our, our Monday host, uh, just um, texted in and said he got an extra class assigned to him and a pay cut, which is really a one-two punch. So thanks, um, Douglas, for sharing that. Yeah, I, I, so, um, you know, I, I want to turn to John and, and think about a couple things that Paul said. He said, you know, we're really a hub in the region, right? And you guys are both in the Fox River Valley area, you know, and, and these schools, Green Bay, UW-Green Bay, where John is, and, and um, UW-Oshkosh, where Jada and Paul are, are really economic engines for the state, and they have a cultural role. John, can you talk a little bit about the importance of the regional campuses in the UW system? Because I think it's something that's kind of chronically misunderstood. Sure. Uh, you know, and so, f- first of all, I, I just want to I want to uh, kind of underscore that what Paul said about this being something that's happening across the state, this conversation. So on our campus at UW-Green Bay, you know, I, I think probably I'd go out on a limb and say our campus has been better managed in the face of these austere political choices that have been made and austerity is a political choice that has been made it's not the weather right it's not the weather it's something that has happened because politicians have made that choice largely republicans um but you know when when at our convocation this year our chancellor announced that we would be taking a very hard look at program array and downsizing majors into minors uh, with the with the goal of not laying anybody off but with, with the goal of um, you know saving money, and so what that means is probably in the long run, you know, uh, laying off um, you know temporary instructors and and, and non tenure track instructors, and what it means for students is offering them fewer options, right? This this we're not right sizing anything. We're not um, you know there's there's really no demographic crisis in this state. That's you hear that sometimes alone students fluctuate. And, and, and so what this is about is the constraints that have been put on our campus that are now impacting students in terms of what they have access to. And so to circle back to your question, that's what a regional comprehensive is, okay? It is a, it is a lifeline for students, particularly first-generation students. I don't know if Jada is a first-generation student or not, but, but students who you know, are, are looking for access to as many different opportunities as possible. I mean, you, you heard her talk about that. 
you know, being able to, to say, okay, maybe I'm going to go in and become a teacher, but now I'm thinking about these other things and I have access to these other programs too. And so obviously having a, a, a well-trained labor force is good for the economy. Um, that's, that's what people often talk about when they talk about campuses being economic drivers. There's a lot of economic activity that comes from having a campus and all of the ancillary, um, you know, the ancillary, uh, uh, you know, businesses that, that serve a university. But what I would say more than that is a, a university, especially a regional comprehensive, is an anchor. It's an anchor institution that provides everything from economic development to, to knowledge production to culture and, and, and allows students like Jada to come out of that college experience with a lot more capabilities than they went in with, right? Because they have access to all of these things in, in one central place. And, you know, we also serve as anchors for the community. I mean, I think about the number of, of boards and, and, and other civic institutions that I belong to, and I'm sure Paul belongs to many of them well, and I'm sure Jada probably volunteers for some of them. You know, yesterday I just went to a board meeting for uh, uh, I sit on the board of Kamza, which is an organization here that serves refugees and immigrants in Green Bay. And there's two other faculty from UW Green Bay on there. And we have different expertise that we kind of bring to the table. And, you know, it, it, it's because we have this, you know, relationship where we're scholars, but we also work in the community and we're teachers that, that we can serve institutions like that. And, and when you don't invest in those as public goods, right, this is the Wisconsin in a nutshell, right? When you don't invest in those, then you're diminishing the opportunities that exist in, in, in the community. And unfortunately, that's what Republicans want. They have a very diminished view of what kinds of civic life should be possible for working people. What they want to do is ground everybody's wages as low as they can make them so that they can just barely survive. Forget about union rights and democracy in the workplace. Forget about political democracy. Many of them now deny uh, the results of free and fair elections. Universities are, are maybe the, the most important bulwark against those things because fundamental in our mission in the university system is the pursuit of truth. That is what we do. And, and that is what's at stake here. That, that, is, that, is, that is what is under fire. And we have to fight for it. And, and our, our unions are fighting for it. And we're working with students, um, you know, uh, to do that. Great. Thanks, John. Um, maybe that's shaken loose a few questions or comments from our listener audience if you're in your car make sure you pull over before you call us um, but you are listening to a public affair WORT 89.9 FM my name is Nan Enstead we're talking about UW regional schools why they have value for the state and the people of Wisconsin if you want to join the conversation give us a call at 608-256-2001 you can also reach us on Facebook or Twitter um, yeah, I wanted to just pick up on one thing that you said and toss it back out there for, for all of you, um, and that's this idea of these regional schools as an anchor um, for an area. And I, I, I think about how the the state, one of the things we hear so much about, right, is the draining of um, lower income areas, whether they be urban neighborhoods or they be rural areas, right? The draining of resources from those areas and, you know, then the kind of the accumulation of resources in places like where I live in Madison, um, where, you know, we've just got a very nice standard of living, at least in such, in some neighborhoods, right? And the regional schools are, you know, are a vibrant force for 
bringing people to the area, keeping people in the area. And they do a lot of those things that people say uh, this kind of investment in rural areas should do. Now, I hear a lot of people saying we ought to be investing in rural areas. We ought to be investing in in, uh, in urban areas like in Milwaukee. Um but why is that not more of a priority? What's the what's the disconnect here? How does this not um, strike? I guess I, I have a little quote from Governor Evers trying to from basically kind of saying the same thing. He said, um, I also want to be clear the Republicans' decision to prolong their decade-long war on higher education by failing to provide meaningful investments in our University of Wisconsin system and our technical colleges is short-sighted, misguided, and wrong for the workforce, wrong for our economy, and wrong for the state. Um, They've failed to make critical investments in key areas that they know and have acknowledged are essential to the success of our state. So... Why is this? Why is this escalate? I really think this is an escalation, right? I mean, Paul, you mentioned Act Ten, which was a, a big escalation, right? And this is another escalation because it wasn't. I just want to point this out. It wasn't. It wasn't. Let's tax the people of Wisconsin to get all the system, the ten system schools that have debt on a firmer foundation. They had the money in their pockets, and the amount asked, the amount that uh, that uh, that was proposed was only by Evers was. Only 5%, less than 5% of the $7 billion. And they failed to take that step. They really could have been heroes and said, hey, here, we're going to put the University of Wisconsin on a strong foundation. And instead, there's this creation, like you said, John, a creation of more austerity. Um, can we talk about what, why is that happening? Paul, do you have any ideas on that? Putting you on the spot. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at with uh, bringing up my interaction with the state senator from our area earlier, a few weeks back, I guess, right after this was announced that it just it goes to show that uh, they may uh, tout certain things about universities in their system while voting in ways that will literally destroy them. It's a, we're talking about a guy from Fond du Lac who the Fond du Lac uh, campus is part of UW Oshkosh now. It's a beautiful campus and it serves a good purpose. It's, it's an even more affordable place for students from that, maybe from that micro region. But I think they get just like maybe a, a misconception that we only serve students from our regions. That's not true at all. The bulk may come from our region, which is great, but we get people like Jada. She's not uncommon that we have students coming from the Milwaukee area too. And the same would, th- would be true of Fond du Lac, but it's a hub for that small city. And that's part of the, the regional campus that we have. And how, how do you just, um, you know, turn a blind eye to something so dramatic that's happening in your backyard, unless it's just purely an ideological thing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, John. Yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to say that I think where we are politically, and it's important that we say this, um, there is no economic argument that is going to satisfy this Republican caucus. And and I think, you know, because I, I sometimes hear a few of my colleagues, very, very much fewer so than was the case five or 10 years ago, there's no economic argument that's going to satisfy them. Um, unfortunately, 
we have an economy that has been brutal to most working people uh, in this country and the state, whether you have a college degree or not, actually, for, for like a generation now, right? And, and there's a reason that 88% of people under the age of 30 now approve of labor unions, right? It's, it's because they realize how unfair their, this economy is and what their future looks like, and they're fearing climate change, and they're organizing for those things. And so the, the Republican caucus, unfortunately, it, it, you know, like you, th you have to remember why it is that they cut our budget, right? The, the immediate um, uh, premise was because we have the temerity to have uh, to put funding into diversity, equity and inclusion. And what is diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, there's a lot of mischaracterizations of it. What it really is, is ensuring that every student on our campus has the resources that they need to be successful, right? That means that, you know, for Somali students on our campus, which we have a growing number of, that they have access to a prayer room. It means that for veterans, actually, many of whom are white students, that they have access to the resources that they need. And all of this is in service of creating the kind of multiracial democracy that this country, many people have argued for and many people have fought for. We've never fully realized it but the kind of multiracial democracy that we all deserve. And unfortunately, there is a subsection of conservatives in this state that don't want that. They want people who are, you know, they want people who are white and black and Latino to, to be set against each other, right? So they drive that, that, that wedge between us. You know, they, they, they want people to be, um, you know, they want uh, cisgender people to, to not accept transgender people because that's good for them politically. And our university, again, is, is, is a bulwark of, of fighting for those values that the vast majority of people in this country want. And so when you're losing an argument, as you are, as the Republicans are, and we, the only reason they have control of the legislature is because our state is so gerrymandered, then what you do is you deflect and you, and you try to drive wedges between people. And that's ultimately what's going on here. And the, only, the last thing I want to say about this is you brought up Governor Evers. And I'll be, I'm going to be honest with you, you know, our union endorsed Evers. I, it was the right thing to do. I'm glad that he won the last election. He should have vetoed this budget because this budget did not offer very much for any any working people in this state. And if you really care about all the things that he just mentioned, you would have gone back to the Republicans and said, I just want a landslide election. And you're going to give me a budget that actually acknowledges what people want with relation to the UW system. So. I know I'm not speaking for myself. There are a lot of people, especially in higher ed, who are extremely frustrated with Evers for signing that budget. He could have vetoed it and it would have actually averted the budget cut that we took because it, we would have continued under the previous funding uh, formula. Yeah, I want to, there's a lot there and um, I want to kind of get back to the DEI stuff first and then kind of circle back again. And I want to make sure also we have time to talk about the union. Um, so, uh, one of the great, you know, I, I, Nick Fleischer called it a deflection or a distraction that, that the, at the same time that this, you know, it was within their power to just put a floor under the system, absolutely stabilize the finances of the whole system across the state. And they instead gave a cut and labeled that cut DEI, 
right? They put a label on that, which was, which was very successful at making everybody talk about DEI, and it linked it to the national conversation, the national sort of dog whistle politics that are going on in Florida and Texas, and um, and all of that. And um, but what you're, I hear you saying is actually he was tipping his hand, right? That this is not just a distraction, but it is the ideology. It is the plan. Um, is to not just not just to uh, uh, attack multiracial democracy and attack programs for BIPOC, especially BIPOC students, um, non-cis students, but to undermine the the system through the whole state, which is going to hurt a whole lot of white people, right? But have them go ahead and approve it. Right. And there's so many times in American history where white folks have given up a lot of their vision of, you know, the kinds of economic rights that they should have under the name of racism because they have been like pulled in to identify as white people against somebody else. And it's a big like um, it's a it's a it's a time honored trick, actually. Um, And I think that people across the state should be really mad, um, but I'm not sure that they are. Um, uh, yeah, um, Paul, you're nodding. Do you have something you want to, do you want to get in on that? Well, one of the things that I was going to say earlier that, it, that applies here too, is that, you know, in our particular case, what's caused UWO to be at the forefront of these announcements and such is enrollment numbers that have been worse than, you know, our peer schools. And our, our upper administration will point to the fact that part of the reason is that we have a lot of students, I think, everywhere, but the Fox Valley in particular is a good example of a place where the labor market's so hot that students can go get decent jobs without going to college. And that's, a, that's yet another thing we have to contend with. The thing is, that labor market's so hot in part because of alums of our schools that have stayed here and helped create a a strong economy, an ecosystem of really good things. And a lot, if you map that all out, a lot of the the links would point back to UWO and to UWGB. Mm -hmm. We need those people to start standing up and defending the UW system schools too. People with power and clout that aren't just, uh, you know, liberal, so-called liberal whatever's lefties on a work talk show that are making this case. We need those people to stand up and defend us. And and that could make a lot of difference. And I think one of the things that they would say is that without the DEI that naturally occurs through institutions like UWO, it's been in the same place in Oshkosh since 1871. And over time, it took a while, you know, but since the 60s, when we had zero students of color, it's become relatively diverse and people tend to stay around. So it's adding diversity and it's allowing our students a much more enriching education than if they were back in 1960 and in class with people mostly from the region who are 100% white. Employers that are movers and shakers know that we need 21st century thinkers that are not scared of diversity, that understand it, embrace it, know how to interact with all kinds of different people. We're gonna start losing out on that the more and more these sorts of things happen. I guess that was the the thing I wanted to add there. Yeah, Jada. 
Um, I was just um, thinking this, that like, um, that's main, the main reason like I went to, to Oshkosh, um, like on the list of things, like I said, of schools that I had made, I, UW, UWO was like kind of up there because of the price um, compared to other, you know, colleges and stuff like that. And like you said, with like the loans and stuff like that, I had to, like, I remember I went, um, what is it called? Lobbying with uh, Lit and we went to go talk our, to our representatives um, and we went to the budget hearing um, and we, you know, I think we had asked for like 24 million. I don't know what the ask price was. We, you know, we were asking for, you know, for her to, for, you know, paying for higher education and, you know, scholarships for students and stuff like that. I don't know what rep, who it was. I remember one of their assistants saying that like, well, just stay in college. And, you know, if you got to take out loans, just take out more to just um, to stay in college. And once you get your degree, then you can pay back those loans. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I just kept thinking that, but um, yeah, I just kept thinking like, why you're just encouraging just taking out more loans and keep continuing that cycle of being in debt. But um, <clears throat> I do agree with like the more the programs like on my campus. I have like the BSU uh, Black Student Union. There's Lit. There's um, African American Studies, and I'm in all three. And I can't say they like we'll have like study sessions and they'll invite me to stuff and it definitely does keep me going and and um, and I know that like people uh, of like you know black people who are on this campus who are in it we help each other to you know keep going and and oh no you're not gonna fail that test we're gonna study right now we're <laughs> open those books and stuff like that it doesn't it does encourage you to keep going and stuff like that so when you have groups and orgs like the BSU. African American studies, uh, they help you keep going and, and encourage you and stuff like that. That's fantastic. And I think it is a really important point that these programs are, uh, uh, they have real world impacts and they are what what our universities are supposed to be about. They're not a side project in some way. Um, they are the core principles of equality and access. That's what the Wisconsin idea is. That's what the University of Wisconsin is built on. And DEI is right at the center of those values. It's not a side thing or some kind of, you know, recent recent thing. Um, I think I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that the two campuses, two of the campuses that are the hardest hit financially are also the campuses with higher percentage of um, of students of color and that, yeah, John, what did you mean to, yeah, it looks like you wanted to come in with something. Uh, I have a lot of things to say <laughs> as usual, <laughs> but you know, I, I wanted to kind of point out here, you know, who, who really has the power in the okay because our campuses in spite of what the right wants them to be like I, not not everybody might agree with me but but i think i'm on pretty solid grounds here i mean if you look at what's happening in this state and nationally they don't want us to exist right or, or at least as we're currently constructed right maybe they maybe they want our engineering programs to exist although the legislature even denied Madison a new engineering uh, building to, to punish the state for DEI or whatever, uh, you know, bad things they think we've done. Um, but uh, the vast majority of people in this state want us to exist, right? We have, we have student, we have, to Paul's point, networks and networks of alumni who have gotten so much from our campuses. We have students right now like Jada who are getting so much from our campuses and what we have to remember is this, okay? And I'm, I mention this on my campus all the time. 
no student comes to any of our institutions because they know or care who the chancellor is. No student comes to our campuses because, or stays on our campuses because of the dean of whatever college we're in, right? They come to our campuses and they, maybe they don't come for anybody in particular, but they stay on our campuses and they get the most out of what it is that we offer them because of the faculty and because of the people who teach them and all of the support people that Jada was talking about, right? The, the, the DEI support that's available on campuses. That's why they come and stay. So um, those of us who do that work every day and, and many of us for too long, to Paul's point about the furloughs, have just basically said, hey, we're gonna just, uh, we're gonna not let students know what we're up against uh, and we're gonna just essentially take a pay cut so that everything is seamless. You know, we need to recognize on our campuses, if you're a UW person out there listening to this, please recognize this, the kind of power we have on our campuses. We run our campuses and our students help to run our campuses because they are the people who are there to get the most out of it. And long run, okay, Jada shouldn't have to be taking out loans. All right. If, if education in this country is truly a right, then she shouldn't have to take out loans when somebody whose parents are millionaires don't have to take out loans to get the same education. And and so that's what we need to be. We can work together. We can work together to get that students and, and faculty if we recognize that power and use it. Great. We do have a caller on the line. Um, Randy, we have just a few minutes left and I want to make sure I give uh, um, our union representatives a chance to talk about the, the AFT. But um, can you have a, a I hear you have a brief comment. Are you there, Randy? Yeah, a couple, if you let me, that uh, uh, the uh, the host triggered uh, a, a memory when um, she talked about uh, the degree to which white people will uh, screw themselves to uh, uh, to keep black people from uh, uh, from any advantage. And I'm thinking of the St. Louis um, St. Louis uh, swimming pool that when uh, when the feds told them they would have to integrate it. So he said, suddenly said, oh, the, the, we don't have the budget to keep it open. Um, and the uh, and the other thing is, I think it's uh, I think I have now seen that the uh, Wisconsin Republicans do not want to raise taxes at all, um, especially if you're making more than a million dollars. <laughs> and that's that's like these cults that uh, practice celibacy. There's not much future left in that. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. That was a great comment. I love it. Um, thank you very much, Randy, for coming on with those two gems. Um, I do want to make sure we have just a few minutes. And um, uh, John and Paul, uh, let's start with John. What can you tell us about what the AFT is doing about this situation? First, kind of at the state level, and then we'll hear about what's happening at Oshkosh specifically. Yeah, so you know we we have locals at every campus uh, in the UW system, and uh, we have a, a pretty robust tradition of fighting back against these things. On Paul's campus last year, the the union worked and union led the drive to to prevent the outsourcing of custodial jobs. I mean, they saved they literally saved people's jobs. Uh, same things happened at River Falls. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've, we've, uh, been able to, to do a lot of things to build power on our campuses. So number one, if you're a UW faculty or staff member, uh, you, you can get in touch with me. I'm easy to find, uh, on Twitter, email, whatever, 
join your union, but more importantly than that, get involved. Okay. The other thing I want to say is statewide, we have a statewide higher education summit coming up in, in uh, a week from this Friday, uh, where we are going to be hearing from people who have dealt with these efforts to divide us based on race and gender uh, in Florida. And we're also going to be organizing uh, a statewide strategy for the rest of the year to get the kind of, I can't say much about it right now on, on air, but to make sure that we get the kind of resources we deserve and we protect our academic freedom and we protect the kind of resources our students deserve. And so uh, if you're interested in that, let me know. I can, I can give you the details on that. Um, it'd be great to have as many people there as possible. You don't have to be a union member yet, although we would love for you to join the union. Paul, what's happening at Oshkosh? A lot. Uh, one really good thing is that over the last couple of weeks, we've had a handful of people join the union, which handful of people is a lot when we're talking about 40 some people out of the faculty that are that are in the union. So that's a really good thing. We we have a bunch of strategy that is going to be implemented soon. Um, so I can't say a whole lot about that other than um, we've we've collectively written an editorial to the student newspaper. Um, that lays out essentially what we're asking from the administration. And then we're going to follow that up with um, some concrete actions related to it. One other thing I wanted to mention is it's, it's, so, it's so nice to have Jada on here. And the fact that she's part of Lit is even cooler because, you know, this is a, this is a group of students that are learning about organizing and taking action. And, and one of the best conversations I've had with a student happened last week and and they they were just really concerned you know the look on their face was kind of like the look that when i'm not in front of the class i feel like i'm probably giving to other people just worried stressed and and i was filling her in and and she she wanted to know you know what could students do and that's a that's a frequent question but then her next question was i was telling her about the, the kind of things that we're doing with our faculty and staff union she said well can students join the union and I said, well, no, because we represent, you know, this certain class of workers at UWO, but what could you do that's union-like? And that's really exciting. What, what new efforts could come out of this where students who often feel like they don't, they're, they're kept out of loop, and they are kept out of loop. This whole thing was rolled out with very little um, you know, be, being shared with the student governance groups, and let alone the typical student. And so if students were able to recognize what the kind of things that john's been saying like we all have power we just we need to first recognize that and then act collectively with other people and start using that power um, because people like chancellors will listen to students more readily than they will to us so we need people like jada and 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 her friends and other people on on our campuses throughout the system students to to rise up and get together and and at least say now we want to know too and we have rights. We deserve to be in on this. We can make this place better. Jada, yeah, jump in. Um, yeah, it, I think the, the the chancellor at UWO, he definitely, like I remember one time last uh, last year, we were having a chapter meeting uh, for Lit and he had walked by and uh, at the time I wasn't the president, Messiah, uh, she was the president and she grabbed, she was like, 
hey, come in, <laughs> come in. And he came in and he sat down and listened to um, while we did our chapter meetings and stuff. And, and we were asking him, like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And um, and these points, stuff like that. And he was giving his, you know, response, stuff like that. And he, he definitely listened to us. And I that was my first time meeting the chancellor. And it was kind of like, I knew that he was like for us and, you know, he would listen to stuff like that, but it was like cool to see, like to actually, and at that time I was, I was just a member and I was just like, oh, wow, like the chancellor's in our meeting, just like listening to us and our, and our points and in our discussions and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, what I'm kind of hearing is a theme of solidarity, Jade. I love the image of you and your, uh, and your friends kind of keeping yourselves studying and keeping you yourselves, you know, kind of you know, uh, uh, in the game and and enthused for your own cause, and that's really solidarity, right? And we're hearing about that from from faculty too. And and um, I I'm, you know, I'd love to hear how we can bring those two together. There's a long history of student activism on behalf of higher education, partly politically. You know, we're just positioned differently. So faculty are, are part of the institution. Um, we're employees of the institution. And there's a long campaign to make our voices less important, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. You know, um, and and students, though, are, are supposed to be the recipients of this. This is what it's all supposed to be for. Hmm. Um, you know, and so there is a, a political heft to your voice. And a lot of times students don't realize how, how that that's true, right, because they're used to being treated you know like they're not they're young they're not important or whatever so it's awesome that you know that Jada um, I think that you're going to be um, uh, uh, making a lot of people feel more hopeful today any last words we got a minute left we got a last word for us uh, John yeah the in spite of how difficult things look right now the future is not written and and social change doesn't always happen linearly. If you think about the big that have happened in this country from the labor movement to the movement, when we organize and things can happen very, very quickly when we decide to band together and, and move in the same direction because students, faculty, staff actually have all of the power in the situation. So please take that, that, that message with you all. All right. Well, uh, that's all for today. I'm Nan Enstead. This has been a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM. Thanks to our guests, Jada Bell, Paul Van Aken, and John Shelton for joining me. And for all that you do, thanks to our producer, Jade Isiri Ramos, and engineer, Nate Carlin. And thank you for listening. <laughs>